Revelation chapter 2. I love the book of Revelation. I just love it all. I love the maps. I love the leather covers. It don't matter. It's all good because he is all good. Revelation chapter 2. We're studying the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not revelations, although there are many in there. This is the unveiling or unfolding of Jesus. And I had a lady, I was talking with a dear lady this past week. She said, that book used to scare me. She said, I like it now. Listen, when he reveals this book, you'll say, I am glad I got on this train. I am glad I'm in. All right, now last, we're looking at Revelation chapters two and three, where Jesus writes seven letters to seven churches. And remember, everything about, you just have to keep saying it over and over. This is the revelation of Jesus. God is showing you things about him and about life here. Seven letters to seven churches, which are the heart of Jesus Christ. If you want to know who Jesus is, look at the letters he wrote to his bride, to his church. We saw last week, letter number one, to the cold church. I call it the cold church. Some authors put it as the uh, legalistic church. It's the cold, whatever you want to call it. But these people were working hard. They stayed by the Bible. They put up with no nonsense, but they were cold love. He said, you've left your first love and your love has grown cold. Tonight, we're going to look at the other six. And we're going to look at six, uh, five of them real quick. But I've got one I want, to, want us to bear in on. And I want to bring a message to you, a word from heaven tonight to you that is a word of encouragement. I mean, I got good news for you tonight. God's going to speak to you tonight from the book of Revelation. He's going to bring you a revelation. And we desperately need it in this nation right now. I'm gonna, I can either say it polished or I can say it in a way you can understand how you want to hear it. People need to hush and we need to hear God speak. Bottom line, we need to hear what God's got to say. And in Revelation, uh, I love these little short letters that he wrote that reveal his heart to people. I want you to look at them with me quickly. We're just going to skim over several of them. Then we want to bear down on one. The second church, verse eight, is the church at Smyrna. It's the persecuted church. And there's a great revelation here. Jesus writes to this church, he said, I know your works, verse nine, your tribulation, your poverty, but you are rich. The blasphemy of those who say they are Jews uh, put the word God's people in there today and are not. They're a synagogue of Satan. That's pretty stern language, isn't it? He said, these are the people who claim to be Christians, church people. But he said, really, they're the synagogue of Satan. Take it up with him. I didn't write it. All right. Do not fear. Now, verse 10 is a great troublesome verse for a lot of people. I pray this don't mess your theology up. Do not fear any of those things you are about to suffer. Satan himself is about to throw you into prison. You will be tested and have tribulation and persecution 10 days. Be faithful unto death. I will give you the crown of life. A lot of people don't have room in their thinking for God allowing his people to suffer. Read that verse. He will allow something. Now listen, not suffer by cancer. That's not him. But to be persecuted is a great honor. And of course, this is a picture of the church through the ages, and it is today. It's a small church. It's a small group of God's people who are allowed by him to suffer tremendous persecution. And uh, that has been through all through the ages. It's certainly going on today uh, in our land. And uh, basically, the church in the world, God's people are suffering under four entities. One is communism. This would be the church in China, uh, North Korea, Vietnam, where they're being persecuted mercilessly. And here's what we find out under the communist persecution. The more they persecute them, the more they love Jesus and the more people get saved. Luxury and comfort have always killed the church. Persecution makes it shine and grow. That's world history right there. Secondly, they're suffering under the, under the excuse me, not government, the religion of Islam. And this would be in the Arabic states. Uh, countries, for instance, like Iran, Saudi Arabia, those Arabic states, 
that are persecuting believers who love Jesus tremendously. Uh, I won't go into detail. You know that's there. Thirdly, they're suffocating, uh, suffocating, <laughs> suffering persecution. I'm at her night under, under Hinduism. This would be the country of India. And last six, eight years, great persecution has broken loose in India. People suffering terribly there, especially with the COVID lockdown. People are not allowed to get food. They're just starving to death if you love Jesus. And, uh, there, and then, of course, the fourth religion is the uh, three-pronged religion of hedonism, relativism, and secularism, and that's in the United States. People that love Jesus are being assailed and persecuted by the uh, new movement in our land, which is just hedonism, which is anybody can do anything they feel like doing. Don't mess with me. That's hedonism, secularism. And so it's happening. But I want you to notice what Jesus said. He said, you're going to suffer how long? Ten days. Numbers mean something in the Bible. They mean something, especially in Revelation. The numbers 3, 6, 7, 10, and 40 are very special in the book of Revelation. Of course, the number 6 is the number of fallen man. 666 six, six is the Antichrist. The number of 7 is the perfect number of God. The number of 10 is the number of completion. So what do you say? This persecution is measured. I know when it will end. It's a set persecution. And then, of course, the great promise, he says two things in this. There's a great reward for these people right here. Dear ones, you and I for all of eternity will honor them. These will be the great honored ones in eternity who suffered for the name of Jesus. And not only that, but let me tell you what we're seeing in the earth right now for these people. There is a great grace of God on these people that are going through this right now. They have something me and you don't have. And I pray for these. I pray for the persecuted church around the world every day of my life. God's put it on my heart. This is my family. I'll spend eternity with these people. And I pray for them every day. I pray for God's presence, his provision, that he would protect them, that he would knit their hearts together in the persecution, and that he would give them boldness to speak his word wherever they're at. And I just hear from these people. For instance, we have, we're tied with some people in India. Terrible persecution, brutal beatings of our people there. And let me tell you, that, they just get beat merciless. They go in these little, little makeshift hospitals and the only thing they want to know is how quick can you get me out of here so I can go back and preach again? These are the most committed, dedicated, Christ-loving people. God's Spirit just rests on them. There's a special gift from God for people who go through this. And let me tell you something. Every, anything He calls you to do, He'll give you grace to do. Amen. He'll always put His Spirit on it. I'm reminded of the old story in the catacombs in Rome years ago. One of the great old saints, they were going to be put to death by the lions the next... No, they were going to be burned at the stake. They were going to be burned at the stake by the Roman government the next day little fellow lit a match uh, to light a candle. He burned his finger and he, he said, he said, he said, he asked, <laughs> he said, how can I be burned at the stake if I don't, if I can't even take a match burn? He said, son, tomorrow God's going to give you something. He didn't ask you to burn your finger. He's going to let you lay down your life at the stake tomorrow. And how many people went through it? I'm telling you, God's spirit just gives you something if he calls you into it. And the greatest honor in heaven is to lay down your life for Christ. And this is happening all across the globe. More people were killed for the name of Jesus last year than any year in world history around the globe. And of course, a lot of uh, Western Africa, this is happening also. So that, and Jesus said, these are people that I've called that do this. I can't explain it. I don't understand it. But I love those people dearly. And they'll be, uh, they'll be the heroes with the medals when we get to glory. And you, you'll know these folks. All righty. Secondly, that's number two. But number three is the church at Pergamos, which begins in verse 12 of chapter two. And let me tell you that this is the compromising church. This would be the compromising church. Let's see what the Bible said about them. 
verse 14, he said, I have a few things against you because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. You, you hold the deeds of the Nicolaitans. He said, he said, look, I love my people and I don't like filth in my church and you're compromising and you've let your culture bring your culture's filth into my church. And uh, he had a strong, which, <laughs> now remember, these are representative of churches all over. I take you to several in our community like this right here. And Jesus said about this church, I believe it's verse 16, repent, I will come to you quickly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. You believe Jesus would fight against his own church? What's the sword of his mouth? It's his word. And it's the judgment of God. And listen, his judgment's on... I know that in America, nothing's wrong anymore. I know that we can live like a bunch of junkyard dogs in heat. Everything's, And we not only allow it, we fight over it now and defend it. God hadn't changed one bit. And he says, I'm not going to put up this in my church. The fourth church is the church at Thyatira. And if, if Pergamos was the compromising, the Thyatira is just a corrupt church. I mean, they're just corrupt. And here's the reason they're so corrupt. <clears throat> As he speaks to them, he said, uh, I want you, this is the craziest thing. Verse 19, I know your works, love, patience, so forth. Verse 20, I have a few things against you. You allow that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. Now, Pergamos put up with it. They're teaching it. Have you ever heard that name Jezebel before? Three times in the Bible. She's the one who dealt, she's the one who overcame Elijah. She's the one who corrupted God's people, Israel. First Kings 17, 18, 19. She's the one who had John the Baptist's head cut off. I love John the Baptist. Man that lives outdoors and wears leather all the time. You gotta like a guy like that. And there's the, the, the king was married. He, he was married to a woman named Herodias and she was Jezebel, had the Jezebel spirit. Jezebel spirit hates preachers who hate sin. And they go after him. And he walks into the president's office one day and he said, it is not right for you to have your brother's wife living with you and sleeping with her. He was wrong. It was right. The king made a law and said, the king made a law and it was right. Who was John talking about? He was talking about God's law, not local law. And he said, it's not right. And the king, it bothered the king because he knew God was talking to him. But that woman, she is evil to the core. And her sole purpose is to corrupt people through immorality and idolatry. Now, you know, we think of idolatry, we think of a little fat gold boot about that tall, sitting down at a Chinese restaurant with an orange in front of him. God have mercy. Well, it is. But no, no, no. We, we, idolatry is found in Romans 1. It says this. They will worship what God created instead of God himself. They worship and serve the created instead of the creator. What are the idols in our nation? You ever, what if somebody did a show and called it American Idol? Sports stars, music stars, ourselves. Jesus alone should hold number one spot in our hearts. Anything that is above Jesus is an idol. And uh, this woman, is, they're not only tolerating, and now they teach. She said, you're teaching this stuff in the church. And of course, he brought swift judgment on them. It's just a bad situation. Church number five in chapter two, for, excuse me, chapter three. The church at Sardis, and this would be called the dead church. You ever heard anybody talk about the church being dead? I, di I didn't make it up. Look who said it. Chapter three, verse one. The Bible said this, <clears throat> verse two. These things says he, well, verse one. 
to the angel of the church of Sardis, these things says he who has the seven spirits of God, the seven stars, I know your works. You have a name that you're alive, but you are dead. Who called this church dead? Let me ask you a question. Is this church respected in its community? What does it mean you have a name that you are alive? The community admires you, but I think you did. And uh, he just said, you're dead church. This is the only church in this crowd he had nothing good to say about. And if you know world history, this was a period of history. What do we call this period of world history where the church, it had form, it had ritual, but it was dead as a rake. What do we call that period? The dark ages. That was that period where the church was just absolutely dead. But it's also indicative of churches now. Now, let me tell you something. A lot of people think that a dead church is one where they don't jump and holler. Jumping and hollering is not life. That may just mean that you've got an A-type personality. I know a lot of great churches where the people are reserved, but the Spirit of God is very strong there. So what is the biblical, you know, people like to throw around that term. What is the biblical definition of a dead church? It's in James chapter 2 where it says this. The body without the Spirit is dead. Now, if, you, if I'm laying on the stage, you come up and say, he's either asleep or he's died. And you go up and say, well, there's no breath in him. Then he's not sleeping, he's dead. If the Spirit's not in there, there's no ruach, no breath, you're dead. Here's what Jesus said. You're respected in your community. You have a name that you're alive, but my Spirit's not allowed to come in your church. And if my Spirit's not in your church, that's a dead church. Well, now, dear ones, <laughs> I don't care that I have a name that I'm alive. I don't care that the people in my community are impressed. I don't want Jesus saying I'm dead. I want Jesus to think I'm alive, and he, but he's, he is so good. He is so good. He did say to them, he did say to them, you can come alive again. With our God, if you're breathing, there's hope and there's mercy. And let me show you one of the funniest, one of the craziest things, and this is a revelation. I've had people say, well, you need to tell them people, get out of that old dead church and come down to a whatever church. Or, and I, I wouldn't be in that old dead church. But let me show you something wild. Look in chapter three. Verse four, you have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments. They'll walk with me in white. They are worthy. God will even leave good people that love God in a dead church to pray for that church. I'm telling you, he is merciful beyond measure. So don't tell people get out of a dead church. Let Jesus tell them. This is just the kindness of our great God. Now, there's nothing wrong with saying y'all could use a little life around here, but he's got folks in there and he just loves them dearly. All right, that's number five. We're going to skip number six because we're going to dwell there tonight. And then I want you to look at number seven. It's called the Laodicean Church. And uh, <clears throat> bless, their dear, bless our dear hearts. This is the half-hearted church. All right, I told you these are seven periods of world history. And there's, we know it is. You can go through history and look at how the history has changed and the church has changed. And every period of history lines up with what Jesus said right there. And there is no doubt in, in most scholars' minds, we're living in the Laodicean church age globally. And we're in the seventh period out of seven. I don't know what you know, but if they ain't but seven periods and you in the seventh, somebody got to be coming back for long. Amen. So we're in the seventh period of history, world history, the Laodicean church. And uh, I want you to look at what he says about this church. And he writes to the church at Laodicea, verse 15, I know your works, you're neither cold nor hot. Now, what's that mean? Lukewarm. Now, what, is it, what does cold mean? You absolutely hate me. You're an atheist. You don't believe in me. That's cold. What's hot? That's a religious fanatic. Y'all know what a religious fanatic is, don't you? I somebody love Jesus more than you do. I mean, he said, you, you're, not, you don't just, you're not an atheist, but you're not crazy about me. Where does that leave you? Right in the middle. Lukewarm. You'll see something crazy. you say, well, Brother Brian, I, I think we should be respectable. <clears throat> Find you another Jesus. Watch this right here. 
I'm going to show you something. Now, you'll read it in the Bible. I'm not going to say it. Verse 15. I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. What's the next word? I. Who's the I? What did Jesus say? I could wish you were what? Cold or hot. You know what Jesus said? If you're not going to be crazy about me, cuss me and walk off. I want you to either be crazy about me or I want you to be an atheist. What do we say in our society? Well, you know, at least they go to church. At least they're good people. What did Jesus say? You know, if I were to say to my wife, honey, I'll pay the bills. I'll mow the grass. I'll give you four. I'll give you five nights a week. But I got this girl I've met downtown. Could I have two nights a week with her? You know, she'd tell me all or nothing, fat boy. I don't do this in between stuff. Wouldn't you? How many of you want somebody sort of half in, half out? What did Jesus say? I want you to either love me completely or forget you ever knew me. What does that do to the American church? Dumps it upside down, doesn't it? What, is this, what are we reading tonight? The revelation of Jesus Christ. This is his heart. And, but look, look at his mercy. Look at his great kindness here. <laughs> and you talk about good. I mean, you just talk about good. Listen to his heart. Verse 19 said this, As many as I love, I told you it's a love letter. How many times have I had men, usually men, a time or two women, for my 40 years, usually men get caught running around on their wives, having an affair with some chick at work, and I'll sit down with them and I'll think, she's fixing to stab him. And through tears, she'll say, I'll take you back if you'll love me. What did Jesus say? He said, you, you really don't care about me, but I love you. As many as I love, what did he say? Look at this, verse 19. He says, many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, repent. What does repent mean? Come back home. You know, repent don't mean cry and slobber. Repent means turn. It just means come back to me. It means turn back from where you were. Here's one of my favorite words in the Bible. I love this. A lot of people don't like this word. I love this word. Verse 19, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be what? See the word zealous. You ever heard of Simon the zealot? The zealous? What does the word zealous mean? It, it is the Greek word boil. Guess how something boils? You stick a fire under it. What did Jesus say? Get on fire. Fall in love with me passionately again. Get on fire for me again and come back home. I still love you. Even though you've been cold toward me, I love you and I want you to come back. Is our Savior merciful or what? All right, I'm going to show you something. This is crazy. Excuse me. It's not crazy. It's, it's a revelation. He said this to him. This is just amazing to me. He, he's going to identify the problem and the promise. Look with me. In, this is one of the funniest things. Verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and fellowship with him. He with me. Y'all have heard that? You've heard that all your life. I had pictures in my years ago, little boy. I remember pictures in grandma's home and older people's homes of Jesus standing there knocking on the door. Evangelists stand up and say to people, you need to get saved. Jesus is standing at the door and knocking. Can I ask you a question? That's not evangelistic. That's not for lost people. Who's he talking to? The church. He's not knocking on a lost man's door. Whose door is he knocking on? The door of the church. If you don't believe it, look with me in the next verse. Verse, verse uh, well, excuse me. Verse 22. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. What's Jesus saying? Let me ask you a question. If you're knocking on the door, are you in? Jesus said, I'm going to tell you what the problem is. My spirit's not in your church. It was if the spirit of God is standing outside the church trying to get in, he's not in there. So the, what's the problem? Why is this church so lukewarm? They have barricaded the spirit of God outside their church. You, know, you can't make it without Jesus. 
You can't make your life. You have to have the spirit of God in your life. You have to have him in the church. Unless the Lord builds the house, you labor in vain. You just have to have the Holy Spirit to do anything. You have to have him in your church. I don't care. Take away the disco lights. Take away the air conditioning. Take away the seats. Take away the piano. We'll beat two sticks together. But if you take the Holy Spirit out of here, we die. Nothing matters. Why was this church in the shape it was in? Because the Holy Spirit was not allowed to come in the church. You know what a closed door means, don't you? You ain't coming in here. So what's the problem? The Spirit's not in there, but what's the promise? Listen to the promise. If you'll let me come in, I'll come back. And I'll fellowship with you and we'll light this place up again. You are never too far gone for God to come back in. You are never too far gone for him to light you back up again. Do you hear the heart of Christ where he says here, you think you're rich, but you're miserable. And he said, the problem is you won't let my spirit come in. If you just open the door of your life to my spirit, I'll come in there and light you up. Uh, Is he good or what? That's the spirit of this age right here. Every place I go, it is so hard to find churches who honor the Holy Spirit and let him take over. Let me make an announcement. Jesus owns the church. He ought to get to run it. You better not come into my house, start rearranging the furniture. I don't care if you're an interior decorator with three degrees. You may know more what you're doing, but I'm going to tell you, that's my house. I get to decorate it like I want to. So you can't come in there and change the furniture in my house. Who owns the church? I don't care if you've got degrees in theology. You better let Jesus come in and run the place. He, don't rearrange his church. Don't mess with Jesus. Turn him loose in there. So that's the message for our age. Now, <clears throat> let's have fun. Turn back with me to the great church. Uh, actually, the term is the blessed church. All right? The church of Philadelphia is the half-hearted church who's been called to repent. But here we go. I, I, love, I love this right here. This is the, uh, my goodness, I just, here's, let's start here, the Philadelphian church. Where am I at? All right. Verse seven of chapter three. This is the church in Philadelphia. Now listen, God's fixing to speak to you. God's going to speak to you through this passage, every person. The Bible said this, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, right? These things says, he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, He who opens and nobody shuts and shuts and no one opens. You need that revelation right there. If God puts an opportunity in front of you, nobody can shut it. If God decides to bless your family, come hell or high water, nothing can stop it. If he gives you an opportunity, all the king's horses and all the king's men and all the devils in hell can't stop. Nobody shuts what he, you know what opens means? I'm going to give you an opportunity. I'm going to do something for you and nobody can stop it. Now, <clears throat> we got denominations having meetings on how to get their churches going again. What's the Bible say? You don't need a brainstorm. Something more like a brain farts what you're doing. The Bible said here, what does it say? I'm, when I shut, nobody opens it. Dear ones, if God shut the door, you can't open it. If God put, if, if he holds a nation back, it's not the presidents and the kings and the congressmen. Only God can open doors. We are so arrogant to think that we don't need him. If he shuts the door, ain't nobody opening it. But praise God, if he opens the door, nobody can shut it. And I don't care what's against you. I don't care what the deal is. I love verse 8. <clears throat> I know your works. I have set before you an open door. Who is you? I want to tell everybody in this room something. God Almighty has a destiny for you. And it is good. And he is for you. And he has put an open door before you. And you listen to me. God is my witness. Knowing this word and knowing his spirit and prayer, you would crawl across broken glass to get what he's planned for you. You would. 
And he has set an open door before every person. I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've been. I don't care how bad you screwed up. I don't care how dumb you are. It don't matter. He has set an open door. God has set, there's an opportunity for every person. I don't care how old you are. Moses didn't get going until he was 80. The murderer, the felon. Abraham waited until he was 90 some. I'm not old enough to do anything yet. The Bible said I've set before you an open door and nobody can shut it. We just got to get this a deep, deep. Everybody's got a destiny. I'm talking about you as a person. He did not create you to drag through life and sucker, suffer and do the best you can and eat cheeseburgers and burp and die. Amen. I know the plans I have for you. Good. And you can get in this book and find out what he did for people that followed him. Let me tell you something about your family. It is not the will of God that your family be blown apart and fall apart and kids suffer. It is the will of God. Blessed is the man whose trust is in the Lord. His wife shall be like a fruitful vine and the heart of his house, his children like olive plants all around his table. God has set before you an open door for your family and for this church right here. I, you don't have to be a great church. Matter of fact, it helps if you're not. Let me tell you what his track record is in this book. He takes the last person anybody would think could amount to nothing. And that's the very one he changes the world with. I mean, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Isn't that what they said about Jesus himself? Sometimes I'll type folks and I'll just say, can anything good come out of Hall River? I'm telling you, he takes the last place on earth. He specializes in choosing the weak, the rejected, the broken. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And he set an open door before every person. Everybody's got the opportunity before him. That's why I love this so much. And it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter who you are. It's a destiny for you. Now, <clears throat> there is a key in here. You say, well, how come he's not doing more? Well, that's what the book of Revelation is for, so we can get a revelation. This is for you, your family, and your church. Let me tell you what you find in this book right here. This is the great letter, the letter to Philadelphia. There's two keys in here, and they are so simple a child can understand them, and we've tried to follow them here. Let's read it. In verse 8, he said this, I know your works. I've set before you an open door, and nobody can shut it. What's the word for mean? Because. It means I've opened a door for you because something of you did. Here's what you did. You have a little strength and if what? You've honored my word. God's going to deal with you the way you deal with his word. You put his word first in your life. You obey his word best you can. You honor his word. You live by that word. You love that word. You speak that word. What he does for you. He said, I've set an open door before you because you have kept my word. I'm going to tell you something. He real big on his word. He is real big on that book he wrote. And there's a reason uh, I've seen several uh, studies and surveys. 50 largest churches in America, they own all their different denominations. They're different. Some are uppity, some are lowerty, whatever the opposite of uppity is. I mean, some are in the city, some are in the country. They only have one common factor. Every great church has one common factor. They have a preacher and a people that honor that book and declare it boldly. It's the only common factor in churches that are being blessed. Lives that I've seen blessed. You know why? They honor that book. And Jesus said, I, I put an opportunity before you because I see that you're serious about my word. Great denominations that just a few years ago were being used mightily of God in revival. They're dying like flies now. What's the common denominator among every one of them? They've started putting a question mark over his word. And they've started kicking his word to the curb. I would name one, probably in enough trouble already tonight as it is. From 2000 to 2020, I'll just name them, Presbyterian Church lost half of its people. 
Do you find it a coincidence that it was the same time they began to put a question mark over his word? Let me make an announcement. You can't lose half your folks, but twice. <laughs> and then there ain't nobody left. But then one's right down the line. Everybody that puts a question mark over this book and challenges it and says, don't pay attention to it. All of a sudden they start dying. But those who honor his word, I don't care what you don't have. He will raise you up. You say, well, that's for a church. Are you a father? You honor this book in your family. Uh, you put this book first in your family. You let your kids. Listen, why would I take the blame if I can lay it off on him for my kids? I just tell them what the Bible says. The, one of the, great, the greatest compliment I've ever been paid. My kids are little one time and they didn't know I was listening. You need to listen when they don't know you're listening. Don't y'all listen right now because this is my thing. <clears throat> I heard one of my kids say, one of my friends said, go ask your daddy, go ask your daddy. Said, no sense. You know what he'll say? The Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says. I thought, that's what you want right there. You honor this book. You do it in your life. You just, you don't have to be smart. Just know what it says. I've heard people say the Bible is, is complicated and deep. Work with me, work with me right here. Thou shalt not steal. What do you not understand? Which part of that don't you understand? Do not lie. Do I need to explain that? Love your neighbor. I told you it wasn't complicated. The end. How hard's that? <laughs> Dear ones, it needs to be in our hearts. Come hell or high water, I'm sticking with this book. I don't care what anybody says. We just need to stick with this book. And God blesses people tremendously and sets doors over them because they, oh, because they love this book so much. But let me point something else out to you. Not only did they love the Bible, there's another key in there. And I'm convinced this is the other one. If you miss, you can, you can, you'll be like the church at Ephesus loved the Bible, but they missed the second one. Where do you see the second key in this passage at? <clears throat> Verse seven, to the angel of the church of who? Philadelphia, not Pennsylvania. There's the secret to this church right here. Y'all ever, anybody ever been to Philadelphia? I used to have to do business up there and traveled up there some. Uh, tell me the nickname of the city of Philadelphia. So y'all have been there. At least you watch football game. The nickname of Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. Guess why? It did, that's not the original Philadelphia in Pennsylvania. This is the original Philadelphia right here. That was back at a time in our nation where we named our cities after things in the Bible. Bethesda, Naval Hospital, was named after the pool of Bethesda where Jesus healed the man. So much of our nation's early history came out of the Bible. That was before we began to dishonor the Bible. Do you think us dishonoring the Bible in this nation has anything to do with some doors closing over this land? He deals with you the way you deal with his book. Philadelphia is two Greek words, philos, adelphos. Philos is the word for love. Adelphos is the Greek word for brother. To the church that loves people like a brother. There's the secret. Friend, you've got to honor his word and you've got to love people like Jesus wants you to love people. And to the church, that's why they were... Listen, you've got to understand something about God and the Bible. In the Bible, names mean something. To us, they don't, to us they're just cute. We give people's names because they're cute. You know, like you might name your son Rufus or Cooter or Bubba or Junior or something. Well, you just think that's cute. That don't mean anything. But in the Bible, names mean something. God gives you a name and your name is who you are. He called Abram, Abraham. Abraham, father of many. Sarai's name was changed from Sarai, barren one, to Sarah, mother of many. 
Simon's name was changed from Simon to Petra or Peter, stability and rock you can build on. Saul's name was changed to Paul. God gave himself eight names in the Bible. Jehovah said, can you, the Lord who will die for you to save you. Jehovah Shalom, the God who brings peace into your life. Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals you. Jehovah Yireh or Jireh, if you're from the country, the God who pays your electric bill. Names mean something in the Bible. And when he called this church, the church at Philadelphia, it's because they love people with brotherly love. Listen to what the Bible says in 1 Peter. Love as brothers. Love one another as brothers. God puts a special blessing on people who honor his word and love people and care about people. You do those two things. I don't care. I don't care if you're dumb as a gourd. It don't matter. I don't care if you have no education. I don't care if you don't have any money. I don't care who you are. You honor his word and love people. Watch what he does for you. I will set an open door before you and nobody can close it. Nobody can close it. You look at certain churches and people. I know businesses and families and the only explanation is God. No, I know people that are smart and did it, but I know people only God could have done that. Let me give you one of my favorite examples. A lot of discussion in our nation right now about opportunities, so forth, so on. Ben Carson's always been one of my heroes. I love Dr. Carson. Ben Carson was raised in Philadelphia. Is that right? I believe it was Philadelphia. He was raised in an inner city housing project in Philadelphia. His father abandoned the family. His mother was a poor woman with no education who was trying to work. She had two boys. Ben Carson was in a terrible public school. He got in trouble in school. He stabbed a boy. All right, you got a young black boy in the inner city living in public housing, no father, terrible public school. Now he's in trouble with the law. Where do you see the trajectory of his life going? But his mama got hold of God. And she went home and told those boys, I'm going to follow God from now on. And you are too, whether you like it or not. And you're going to get an education. And Ben said, I, I don't know if it was because I feared God or feared my mother more. But my mama meant business. Listen, we have gotten down on their levels and played with them long enough. Somebody needs to stand up, be the adult and say, thus saith the Lord. And I mean, she laid the law down and she, she didn't have a belt, so she went and got one. And Ben Carson grew up to be the brilliant neurosurgeon the only man to ever separate Siamese twins joined at the head now serves in the cabinet. And he, Ben Carson said, great book, Gifted Hands. You'll get, make, listen, we made our kids read these kind of books when they were young. Great books that point them to God and great things he's done. You can only explain, he said, my life can only be explained by the touch of God. There's no way I should have made it out of there. But you know what? Because his mama honored God's word and loved him and cared for him, God put before that fellow an open door and nobody can close it. Here's the revelation. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you've been, what you don't have. I don't care how you've missed it. You take his word serious and you serve people and love people. You watch. You watch. And listen, nobody can stop what he does. Nobody. I just double dog dare you. <laughs> just, if God, here, here, somebody should come up with a saying like this. If God be for us, who could be against us? That is a saying. That's Romans 8, 31. That's a good saying right there. And that's, this is the book of, this is, everyone's listening to me. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. If you'll just honor my word and chase me and love people, watch what I'll do for you. And nobody can stop it. I mean, just nobody can get in the way if they would walk this. All right, now let me, uh, the Bible said this. He said, I want you to love like brothers. This is not complicated, dear ones. All right, I'm having to know Jesus gave some commands. 
They're called the 10 suggestions. No, no. That covenant's gone, dear ones. Today we have two. Two. And I'm, and matter of fact, Jesus said, there's one. I, I fell one time. His name was Howard. I loved him. Somebody asked me to go see him years ago. I went to see him. He was the neatest guy. Just a, he's just a, a wore out old hippie. He was older than I was. And I said, I want you to come to my church. And I'll talk to him about Jesus a little bit. He said, look, he said, you seem like a pretty nice guy. But he said, Doc, I'm churched out. I've been to the Methodist church. He'd been to the Jehovah's Witnesses, false witnesses church. He said, I've been to the more. He said, I've been to every church. He said, I've had it. I can't keep their rules. I'm done. He said, I'm not being unkind. I just, I'm not a church guy. I said, Howard, I'll tell you what, if I make a deal with you, if I tell you we only got two rules and that's all you got to do, could you keep them? He said, just trick. <laughs> I said, Howard, we have two rules at our church. You keep two rules. I'll never ask you to do anything else. He said, what are they? I said, you love Jesus with all your heart and you love people the way Jesus loved you. I'll never ask you to do another thing. God is my witness with my hand in there. He said, I think I can do that. I said, you, be careful now, Howard. I know number one's pretty easy. I've been trying to love people a long time. I said, that's all we ask. He said, I'll come. He, came, he became one of the best people I ever had in church. He told me many a time, he said, why can't everybody make it this simple? Just love God and love people. That's it right there. He said, well, what about that stealing? Who are you going to steal from if you love them? What about that line? Who are you going to lie to if you love them? Whose Mustang are you going to steal if you love them? Are you going to dishonor your mom and daddy if you love them? You see, it was a trick. Got you, didn't I? It's this simple, dear ones. Turn with me to John 13. Let's see the command of Jesus. This is so simple. I don't know where in the world we miss this at. John 13. This is sort of a shocking passage. Now, you know where John 13 is, don't you? See, Brother Ryan, I'm there. No, I mean, you know what it is. All right, Jesus has been through his, earthly, his entire earthly ministry. He's ministered for three years. He's taught the kingdom of God. He's healed the sick. He's raised the dead. He's fixing to die. And he knows it. And he wants to have one last talk with his best friends, his disciples. And that last talk, is, it's called the Olivet Discourse. It just means he went out to the Mount of Olives, had a talk. And that last talk covers John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. So this, that's, a, that's the speech he made, the talk he gave, John 13 through 17. And I want you to look at what he said. And he said, this is the last thing I got to say to you on this earth uh, until I get back. And in John chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus said this, a new commandment I give to you. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Dear Jesus, dear Jesus, help me. I've already got more commandments than I can keep up with. You're going to add a new one to it. How many of you know there is a new commandment as of this moment in the Bible right here? As of this moment, now let me ask you a question. So you got an S on it. Did he say new commandments? What did he say? I got one new commandment for you. This commandment replaces all the others. This is a new day right here. I've got a new commandment for you. A new commandment I give to you that you what? Love one another. But don't stop there. Isn't there something tagged on to it? As I have loved you. In all my life as a preacher, I've had people come up to me, Brother Brian, I want you to know I love you. Which usually means I'm fixing to kick your butt till your nose bleeds. Because they got to do that disclaimer before they tear into you. Did Jesus say to love people? No, go back and read it again. Love them the way I've loved you. Yeah. Unconditionally. Mercy. Second chance. Fourth chance. Eighth chance. Does anybody know the true number? 490 chances per day. 
If your brother comes, how many times do I have to forgive my brother? Seven, Simon said in Matthew 18. Jesus said 70 times seven in a day. I feel like I've had days where I've almost gotten 490 with him, but he's merciful. I want you to love people like I've loved you. Let me ask you this. What's the greatest love ever shown in the world? It's just across the page here. What's the greatest love ever shown in the world? Greater love has no man than this than to lay down his life for his friend. Jesus said, you treat people the way I've treated you. This is not a set of commandments. This is the one new commandment. You do this. Look at verse 35. By this, all will know you are my disciple by the way you love Jesus. Uh Uh-uh. What does it say? Love each other. Does that tell, that verse tell me people are watching. I mean, I think people are watching us. If I go out and I got a big old bumper sticker on my car and I got a, a Jesus lapel pin or whatever, got a big cross around my neck, gonna give me arthritis, it's that big. If you claim to be a Christian, you say, I don't want nobody watching me. Why not? Why don't you want to be the light of the world? You don't have to know Greek, Hebrew, homebrew, and other brew. All you gotta do is just go love people. Let them watch. Can't you see Jesus said, I want the people to watch you. I want people to watch. I don't care if you can't speak all the language. I just want to, I want people to watch the way you care about people. That's it. Here's the new commandment. Just go love people. What did Jesus say? To the church at Philadelphia, to the church where people love like brothers, I'm going to set a door before you and nobody can close it. Now, we don't have a well-educated preacher in this church. He's polished, but he's not well-educated. Very careful not to say anything wrong. Now, we do have great musicians in this church whom I love dearly. And we're not exactly in Metro Atlanta or Metro San Francisco or anywhere like it. Thank God we're not in Metro San Francisco. Not exactly where we're at. Let me tell you, all we got right here is Jesus and his love for him and each other. And that's it. You see, you can't build a church on that. What did Jesus say? I've set before you an open door because you'll love people like I do. And you'll take my word seriously. And nobody can stop what I'm doing in your life, in your home, and in your church. I mean, this is just the... This is, just, this is just good news to the whole crowd over there. That's his promise right there. Go back to Revelation. We've got to wrap up here. Revelation chapter 3. And doing was out. All right, I'm, I'm a, I got saved. I love Jesus. I got called to preach. I went to preaching school, learned how not to. I really got messed up in school. And uh, I'm, I'm not fussing or anything much. And it, what I learned in school just didn't work. I learned techniques. I, they taught me to breathe from my diagram. I'm serious. We, we had to practice holding the Bible like this. And we had to read. I don't even know what you call it. We had to learn how to read a certain way. And the professor would come behind you. Give, he, put it, he said, from your, from your diaphragm, from your diaphragm. I said, I thought, is this a hog calling? What are we doing here? I'm, I'm not being unkind. I'm just, you can be as polished as a pig in a pickle factory and still nothing good happen. Let me tell you what I learned. You just take this book and say what it says and you love God and pray and you love people, he'll handle the rest. That's it. Unless the Lord builds the house. And and this is the revelation. Here's the revelation. He said, I'll set an open door before your life. I'll do things you could never imagine. You just take my word serious and love people. Let me do the rest. This This is so easy. You've heard anybody say following Jesus is hard. Why would you say that? Let me tell you what the book says. The way of the transgressor is hard. To rebel against God is a hard life. Listen to what Jesus said. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. You say, well, it's about to kill me. Well, that's religion. That's not Jesus. <laughs> All I have to do is just love Jesus and love people. And here's, let me tell you something. That Holy Spirit guy, he'll give you the love to do it with. 
All I have to do is just get out of bed and start every day. Easiest thing in the world. Just put his word first and love people. And he's promised to bless that. Let's, let's finish up right here. I know y'all got to, y'all got to go and practice love and stuff. All right. <clears throat> Jesus said this in Revelation chapter three. He's talking about the angel of the church in Philadelphia. <clears throat> Boy, you're talking about something wild. Verse nine. I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews or believers and are not belie. I'll make them come and worship before your feet. They're going to know I've loved you. To my dear brothers and sisters in North Korea that are facing that persecution, one day that little fat, short rocket man is going to bow down and declare Jesus is Lord. And God's going to let him know those people you persecuted, those were my people. I love those people. One day the Muslims will bow down and declare Jesus is Lord. Modi one day will wish he'd have never messed with God's people. What does it say right there? One day the atheist professors who mocked 18-year-olds in the college classroom will bow their arrogant heads and say, Jesus is Lord. I'm telling you, he's going <laughs> to make them do it. And, and you got to remember something. Here's the revelation right here. And this also is in the book of Acts. There's a man in the Bible named Saul. And he was so evil and so wicked. He was murdering women and children and men because they loved God. You can be that messed up and that demonic. And uh, matter of fact, he hated, there's a demonic hatred in the earth toward God's people. And it don't make sense. Somebody asked me, he said, do you, you know that guy Hitler who tried to destroy God's people? Do you think there was something spiritual there? You reckon? Man, even it, MSNBC's figured that out by now. So he's got a, a, a warrants and he's going to kill God's people on the road. To, he found out there were some Christians that had played a little town called Damascus. He's going to kill them. He just hates them in the name of God. He's going to go kill them. But there's just one problem. This big guy stood on the road in front of him and the Bible said he traveled. He saw a light, didn't hear anybody and it knocked him to the ground. I just love it when Jesus gets in the knocking to the ground business. And knocked him to the ground and they saw the light. They heard the voice, they didn't see anybody. And I want you to listen to what the, the voice said. And he said, Saul, why are you persecuting Christians? That's not what he said. Why are you persecuting me? And he said, uh, <clears throat> would you mind telling me who you are? Who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. What does the Bible tell you right there? Jesus takes this stuff, he said, there's going to come a day when I'm going to make those people that have abused you, they're going to bow down and know that I love you. All right, here's the deal. Do you want to be the big man in charge right now or do you want to be blessed by God when the tables turn one day? We want to be on the right side when this thing's all said and done. I'm going to put it in language you can understand. You ever heard this? It ain't over till the fat lady sings. That's the theological term right there. It ain't over till the fat lady sings. And if the book of Revelation's got a message, it's this. Don't jump this Jesus ship right now. Soon and very soon, you'll wish you'd stayed on this ship because this ship will be on top when it's all said and done. And all the arrogance and the evils and those persecuting God's people will bow down and know that he has loved you and they will worship at whose feet? Not Jesus' feet, your feet. <laughs> My buddy Joseph, who was so abused and sold into slavery, when God raised him up, listen, that boy, I love that boy. He was sold into slavery. Everybody did him wrong. Everybody hated him. Everybody abused him. He didn't open his mouth. He trusted God. 
and he honored God's word. That hussy chased him all over the house. You know, Potiphar's old lady, she run him all over the house. But he said, God's word says no. If ever a boy would have had a chance, if ever a boy would have had a reason to say, following God hadn't gotten me very far, but he stayed with the stuff and he said, I'm going to honor God. And on a set day, on a set day, God raised him up, set an open door before him. And what was the first thing that was said when he rode out of, the, when he rode out of that palace that day in the second chariot? What'd they say? To everybody out there, what'd they say? Bend the knee. Bend the knee. Joseph's coming through. He was put in prison because he loved God. But I'm going to tell you something. He will always have the last word. And evil will bend its knee and honor what God said. I've decided to stick on the old ship of Zion. I know it's old-fashioned. Nobody wants to ride on this old slow boat anymore. But i got news for you. We're going to finish in the right place. And it is important. I'm going to put in language you can understand. <clears throat> Praise God. You want to be the lion or the mouse. Which one you want to be? I'm going with the line of the tribe of Judah. You can take, some of you like the donkey, some of you like the mule. I like the line of the tribe of Judah, as my buddies say down the road here. And the Bible is very clear. But I want to just an honest word. I just want to live. We're going to quit right there because we, we don't want to get to the raptures the next verse. We're going to wait for that for next week. If it, if it occurs, I won't be here. But I've got a deacon's going to preach for me, so y'all come anyway. It'll be all right. You do the deal. <laughs> Every one of you, listen to me. God loves you. He created this earth for his glory and your blessing. He nailed his son to a cross to be good to you. You honor his word. You just, you just redneck up in your heart and say, word first. I'm going to honor that book. Though none go with me, still I will follow. And I'm going to love people by the grace of God. And you watch what he does for you. He'll set before you an open door. I feel like I need to give a testimony. Somebody needs to hear this right here. We're living in a day where people are talking to me about saying, I, I hate to do this religious stuff with my children because you know it's different raising children now than it used to be. No, it's not. Nothing's changed for the last 6,000 years. Yes, technology's changed. Who gives a rip? But there's a lot of pressure on parents today about raising their children. We had to make a decision when our kids were little. And we made a decision. Come hell or high water, his word's going to rule in our lives, in our home. I don't care what they're saying at the school. I don't care. We're going to honor his word. And I was warned by Christians, you need to rethink this thing. I said, nope, I already thought about it. By the way, you don't have to think, you just have to read. That's good. That's good right there. Just read. You don't need to think, just read. And we made a decision. We're going to honor this word with our children. We will be the weirdos. I was told your kids will hate you if you treat them like that. <laughs> what do the experts know? And we honored God in everything we did. We were different. We were weirdo. I mean, we just, we just, we marched to the beat of God's word. My kids have been blessed beyond measure. They adore me. They love me. They got great educations. They got great jobs. They get along. They love each other. They have prospered. I mean, God is blessed. God did that. Because along the way, somewhere we decided, though none go with us, still we will follow. And this, listen, this gets to be fun after a while. God, I just love his word. I want you to love it too, because I know how good he wants to be to you. All right, I'm done. I got to let you go. Lord Jesus, we give you all the praise and glory. I thank you that these hammers that are beating on your word today, philosophy, <laughs> government, 
academia, even churches, even religious hammers trying to hammer your word. I praise you that one day all the hammers will lie in the dust silent. Your word will prevail forever. I praise you and thank you that your heaven and earth will pass away, but your word will prevail. I just see you peering over the edge of heaven, looking into people's hearts right now, saying, I open and nobody shuts. I'm who you need. I open doors, nobody can shut it. I raise families up. Nobody can stop it. I raise churches up. You're all I need. And I pray you'd put it in people's hearts. I will honor that word as best I know how. When I miss it, I'll get up and start over. But as for me and my house, we will honor the Lord and love His word. And I'm going to love people the way Jesus loved me. There'll be some challenges. They might be some bumps. But when it's all said and done, you will honor people who honor your word. I just praise you and thank you. Your word is so true. Well, Lord Jesus, I got all these seven churches. I got the cold church, the corrupt church, half-hearted church, the dead church, and then the blessed church. Lord Jesus, I put in my vote for the blessed church. If we don't do anything else in this place, we're going to honor your word and worship you, and we're going to treat people like they're special to you because they are. Every one of them. I don't care. I could not care less. Preacher or whore, it don't matter to me. We're going to love everybody and love them like Jesus loves them because you died for everyone. And I want people to know that. Thank you that you have blessed us. You've blessed our families here. You've blessed people. And I just sense it's fixing to get gooder and gooder as we honor you more and more. I pray, Lord, in my heart, there is somebody in this room tonight that you're talking to. And you're saying to them, get up. Get up. You're cheering for them. And you're reaching into their heart tonight, raising them up, letting them know, put me first. Walk in love. You don't need anybody except me. I'll do it. And you'll know that was God right there. I don't know whether it's a person's life or their family screwed. I don't know what it is. I just know this. You take the ashes and you turn them into beauty because you have kept my word. I trust you for that. You're wonderful. I give you all the praise and glory. Let Jesus be glorified. Thank you for every one of my little sheepettes and sheeps. I love my church. I love my Savior. Thank you for every person. Let Jesus be glorified in His precious name we pray. Amen.